think that's the one thing about our sport and and just the horse in horses in general is it's a it's a constant learning process because it's it's trial and error they cannot tell us in words what's going on so we have to learn sort of their sign language um so i think you know a good horseman is anyone who who can sympathetically and empathetically work with the animal and and learn as much as they can Welcome to Practical Horseman's Podcast, a show featuring conversations with prospective riders, industry leaders, and horse care experts. The show, which runs every other week, is co-hosted by Practical Horseman editors, and our goal is to inform, educate, and inspire. I'm Jocelyn Pierce, and this week's episode is with top show jumper Laura Kraut. Laura needs no introduction. Her four-decade career includes three appearances on both the U.S. Olympic team and the World Equestrian Games team. She's made appearances at countless World Cup finals, has ridden in numerous Nations Cups, and has more than 100 Grand Prix wins. Laura grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, where she and her sister Mary Elizabeth began riding at an early age under the tutelage of their mother, Carol Kent. Laura and Mary Elizabeth's skills eventually caught the attention of two local trainers who invited the girls to work for them. For the next six years, the sisters worked around the barn and helped to start young horses and ponies. During this experience, Mary Elizabeth fell in love with the horse care side of the business, and to this day, she manages the care of all of Laura's mounts, and Laura attributes the longevity of their careers to her. At the same time that Mary Elizabeth was falling in love with the horse care side, Laura was pouring her heart into training. In 1991, she got the ride on her first big-time Grand Prix partner, Simba Run. After a year together, Laura and Simba earned a spot as alternates on the 1992 U.S. Olympic team in Barcelona. Simba helped draw national attention and sponsorship to Laura's career, opening the door to a string of partnerships with other talented horses, including Liberty, her partner at the 2000 Sydney Olympics, Anthem, Miss Independent, who was her partner for the 2006 WEG, where the team won a silver medal, and Cedric, perhaps her most famous partner. When Cedric was only 10, he and Laura wowed the crowd by finishing the 2008 U.S. Olympic selection trials with the best overall score, and then they went on to win the team gold medal in Beijing. Most recently, Laura won a team gold medal at the 2018 World Equestrian Games with ceremony. Based in Florida for half the year, and Great Britain for the other, Laura and her longtime partner, the legendary British show jumper Nick Skelton, run a successful training and teaching business. I talked to Laura at the Washington International Horse Show in late October, where she went on to clinch the flagship event, the Longines FEI Jumping World Cup Washington, a qualifier for the World Cup final. With this win, Laura racked up valuable points to qualify for the final, which will take place in Las Vegas in April. And just a heads up, we recorded the interview in a small room just outside the Engate, so from time to time you can hear the announcer in the background. During our conversation, Laura talked about how she gained experience in the sport and how those experiences shaped her into the rider she is today, the qualities she looks for in a show jumper and some of her favorite horses, what she thinks makes a good horseman, and more. But first, I want to thank this episode's sponsor, Softride Equine Comfort Boots. Softride Equine Comfort Boots are so much more than just extra cushion and comfort for your horse. The deep gel orthotics reach into the crevices of a horse's foot to massage the frog, helping the natural pumping motion that circulates blood as the horse shifts its weight on his feet. 
So no matter if your horse is at home or on the road, soft ride boots battle inflammation by naturally increasing your horse's circulation. They make travel less stressful and they provide immediate comfort when your horse needs it most. Find out more at softrideboots.com and follow Softride on Facebook and Instagram to see all of the elite equine athletes who rely on their products. Now let's jump right into the episode as Laura talks about how she got started in riding. Well, what drew us in was our mother's obsession with horses. So uh, I think it was just inevitable. Uh, My mom had been around horses her whole life. Um, She'd been involved with saddle seat horses, and then she'd moved on to hunters. And um, so when we were born, she, you know, it just was like gravity. We were attracted to them right away. And then how did... um... I I had read that some local trainers kind of spotted you and kind of took you under their wing. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you got a little bit more involved with riding? Yeah, we were were very fortunate. Uh, I was probably, I want to say I was 10 or 11 years old, and I had a wonderful pony. I actually was fortunate enough to have a few, you know, just great backyard-type ponies, and then I got this pony named Plain and Fancy. She was pure white she had one brown ear and two blue eyes and uh, she was just a machine and so you know even though we primarily stayed on a local level whenever we would go away we'd go up to Tryon or we would go to Aiken um, I would I would be champion in the medium ponies which she was she was not fancy but she was a good jumper and she was uh, she was wonderful and so I think um, Kathy Paxson and Ann Keenan, who were at Hunter Hill Farm, had probably noticed me uh, by virtue of that pony. And so I had to sell her because I'd outgrown her. Um, And they had called my mother and asked if I would be willing to come and ride their ponies. Uh, At the time, they had some really wonderful ponies, and they were breeding ponies, and they were very much into it. So it was a real opportunity for both me and my sister, Mary Elizabeth, to to be able to continue and and sort of start to step up uh, to the next level. And you also had your fair share of riding some young or and troubled horses. I mean, how do you think that shaped you as a rider? Well, I think, you know, uh, we were just fortunate enough to get to ride so many different kinds, you know, so whether they were spooky or they were wild or they were fresh or they were too quiet or you couldn't get them to go or they were stoppers or they were... Uh, perfect. Uh, We just got to ride all different kinds and it was never a question of I can't do this. It was a question of how am I going to accomplish this. So I think, you know, and and I think when you're young, I think that goes across the board for anything. You know, you don't realize your limitations, so you just try to figure it out. So I think that that was kind of what set the tone for me for for riding is that I, I didn't have fear. All I was concerned with was was getting the results, making the horse understand what it was we wanted or uh, figuring out how to sit quietly enough that I didn't upset the horse or, uh, you know, just all the different things that you do to get through to them. Um, and, you know, I, I say I started skiing late in life and I was terrible because I sort of knew all the things that could go wrong. Um, but when you're young and you're riding, you, you just don't think about that. So I think in that way, I was very fortunate. Um, and at what point did you kind of decide that you wanted to make riding your career or you wanted to pursue being a professional rider? Well, I think, you know, probably I would say when I was in my 
you know, like maybe 14 or 15 years old, I, I would have said to you even earlier, because it would have never occurred to me that I would not have written. Mm. You know, you're young, you don't really know. But I would say when I was probably 14 or 15, and I realized that someday I was going to have to have a job and do something, again, it just, to me, it was, it was just logic that I was going to do something with horses. So, um, I, you know, it's not that I thought, oh, I'm going to start working on building my career now, because I didn't. I wasn't that forward thinking. <laughs> um, and even uh, to the extent that, you know, when I was going to go to college, I was going to probably um, study law. I thought, oh, I could do law, become very successful, and then be able to afford to ride. So, you know, it was all, it was all about the riding. Um, but I managed one semester of college and realized that this was a big waste of my time because I really wanted to just be riding. And so that was that. Um, and what riders or coaches have influenced you or served as mentors? Well, I mean, you've got to say a lot of them. I mean, you know, and sometimes I hate doing this because sometimes I think, oh, I've left someone out mm -hmm. because there have been a lot of people that have been, been very influential. Um, you know, I would say more so even as I was getting older, you know, maybe in my late 20s or 30s, because then you start to realize, you know, how much you still have to learn. You know, when you're really young, you think you've got it all down. Um, and then as you get going. But, I mean, I would say uh, Katie Prudent has been seriously uh, influential in my career just by her enthusiasm an extreme uh, talent for inspiring you and giving you the confidence to be able to do whatever it is that you want to do. Um, and she was an amazing rider herself. I had admired her when I was young. I mean, I would sit and watch her jump at the Washington International Horror Show. Uh, and then later to have her sort of take me on and say, you know, this is what you should be doing. And she had had a vast amount of experience going to Europe, and then she and then she married Henri Prudent, who was French. So she was probably one of the first people from our country who would actually go to Europe and sort of base there and spend a large part of the time. And she took Alison Firestone, and she she sort of started that trend. And so she uh, took what was really intimidating to me. And, and made it so that it was just like going down the road to Devon or Upperville. Um, so I credit her for a large part of, of what I've been able to do sort of over the last 20 years. Um, and then there's just been, I don't know, there's just loads of people. I, tra I, I rode for a person named Rodney Gross, who was an amazing horseman. Um, I... I, gosh, there's just, you know, I go, Emil Hendricks from Holland, uh, who I bought some of my best horses from. He also uh, helped me a lot, not only with just riding, but with everything, with buying good horses and helping me navigate that world over there. Obviously, Nick Skelton uh, has been, I, I mean, I can't even describe uh, what I've learned from him for, about training horses, riding horses, com competition, scheduling, planning, managing, you know, he's, he's one of these people that's ultra, ultra organized. Uh, so just, yeah, you pick up a lot from everyone. And I think um, once you reach a certain level in our sport, 
there's there's something to be taken from almost everyone mm -hmm. who's at that high level. So. Um, and speaking of Nick, do you how do you feel your training philosophies align? Do you feel that they're very similar or are they quite different? Can you just talk a little bit about that? You know, they were very different in that um, he came from a different world, obviously. They, mm -hmm. He comes from England, sort of old school. You pretty much kind of taught yourself. Uh, he trained with a person named Ted Edgar, who's quite famous, uh, famous for many reasons. Um, but on the whole, you know, they kind of just do everything on their own. Wherever here, we're training-based country, you know, uh, I had students and I have uh, a whole entourage mm -hmm. sort of of people that go along with. So, um, he, you know, and he came from, he had three horses and that was it, you know, so his whole world sort of revolved around getting those horses to the shows that he wanted and, and peaking. So uh, as far as business goes, it's taken a bit of time. Yeah, I've, I've learned to scale back a little bit and he's learned to broaden his <laughs> scope of what what he does um, training the horses I would say overall we would be similar um, he is a very light soft rider you know he doesn't he, he would I mean if you wanted to say an American style of rider he would definitely be more aligned with with that versus say the quote-unquote German style of riding um, but it he himself has a very unique style that is, I think, no one in the world has ridden or will ride like he does. He just has this incredible way with, with the horses. Um, and, yeah, I mean, he, you know, he grew up, he, they, they didn't even have a ring. I mean, they would jump hedges and stone walls to prepare for the horse show where we, you know, we are spoiled. We have our poles and our gymnastics and our cavalettis and our whole thing. So um, I think it's been good. I mean, I think he's... He's probably taken a lot of what we do, and I've certainly taken a lot of what he does and, and made it work. Um, what do you think makes a good horseman? Well, I think, you know, that's a, that's a pretty broad question, but I think that a, a good horseman is someone who really studies the horse. And, and that's not just the riding end of it, but that's just... That's knowing, uh, you know, from top to bottom. And also it's not being a veterinarian or a farrier or whatever. I mean, I, I definitely could not shoe a horse, though I'd like to think that I know from all the years of talking to the blacksmiths and dealing with problems, I know a good bit. But I certainly would not pick up one of those tools <laughs> and try to do it myself. Um, and the same goes as being a veterinarian. I mean, I think I know a lot. I think... Um, Often the veterinarians ask me what I think because I am paying attention to my horse and I know if things are different or not. But I certainly would not want to do a surgery or inject one or do something like that. So I think it's just being a student of the horse and, and really knowing uh, a lot about them and, and knowing their flaws and their strengths and being able to bring out their strengths and and try to train away the flaws and um, looking out for their well-being without spoil, spoiling them and um, having the wisdom to know when enough is enough and also to know when you can push that little bit more um, and also having the wisdom to know that you don't always do it right 
and I think that's the one thing about our sport and and just the horse in horses in general is it's a it's a constant learning process because it's it's trial and error they cannot tell us in words what's going on so we have to learn sort of their sign language um, so I think you know a good horseman is anyone who who can sympathetically and empathetically work with the animal and and learn as much as they can and also in the end really great horsemen are the ones who choose to pass it on to the next generation which I think uh, is so important particularly in today's world where you know the electronics and the internet and then this and that is very intimidating for some of our great older horsemen um, it's not just that you know in the in back 20 30 40 years ago they wrote books and now you know no one writes books anymore and no one really you know so I feel like um, I've been thinking about it recently I feel like uh, before it's too late we need to get a hold of a lot of these people that have been in this industry that are amazing and make sure we record what it is they have to say because if we get it on a podcast or if we get it uh, you know in print on a computer or whatever the younger generation will read it or listen to it um, but you know they're not, you know, I know, for example, even my mother, she's not going to sit down and, and put something on the internet, mm -hmm. you know, so it, it's, uh, it would be important to try to get a hold of all the, the vast amounts of knowledge that's out there. You've obviously had um, quite a few important and influential horses in your life. Um, can you kind of talk about your favorites and what they're like? Uh, yeah, I've had, I've been really fortunate to have had a lot of really good horses. Um, I had a few very good hunters. I had a junior hunter named Winning Hand who was really probably very influential in my career in that he was really, really, really a hot thoroughbred that I had to learn how to basically not move and try to get everything done without doing anything, um, which has helped me in my career later on just for being able to ride the horses that were a little more sensitive. Um, and then I had uh, Rockstein, who was one of the best hunters of all time. I was there when we found her, picked her out, and I rode her her first year um, as a pre-green horse. She was phenomenal. So she would have been like riding the gem twist of hunters. Uh, then I had Simba Run, who also was a thoroughbred. Um, and he was the one who sort of got me on the international scene. Um, and I went to, I was a reserve for the Olympic Games in Barcelona with him. Did my First Nations Cups with him in Rotterdam and in Modena, Italy. And he was the one really uh, just that made me think, okay, this is the direction I really want to go. You know, I was far more uh, involved with hunters at that stage. Because at that point, you know, the jumpers hadn't taken on the big growth that it has now mm -hmm. so I was doing way more hunters and I had a couple jumpers so he got me thinking in the other direction um, and then probably the next one would have been Liberty who I uh, took she was my horse for the Sydney Olympics in 2000 and she was the first horse I ever syndicated so that was sort of a, a stepping stone in my career was learning that I could put a group of people together to buy a horse because, you know, 
that horses were expensive and, and uh, this was my opportunity to maybe buy a little bit uh, better horse, you know, by breeding or whatever. Uh, when I bought her, she was seven years old. Um, and develop it and, and get it to a level. Um, Katie came in at that stage and really helped me with that. Anthem was the next one. Um, again, a syndicate horse that was just, he was one of the winningest horses I ever had. He just was a, an incredible horse. I jumped in for 10 years, I think, at an international level. He did everything. I mean, he won, I, I don't even remember what he won. Like, he won Rotterdam. He won, I, he won some huge Grand Prix. I think I won Madrid, the, the Grand Prix Madrid twice with him. He, he won in Rome. He won, he won everywhere. He was great. And then there's the obvious, which is Cedric. So, um, and Cedric sort of was a culmination of all of them because he was uh, hot as a firecracker and, uh, you know, he had all kinds of funny quirks and he was tiny and he was actually everything that, that he shouldn't have been. You know, he was able to do everything that uh, you would have never expected from him. I certainly didn't buy him thinking that he was going to be an Olympic gold medalist. I bought him thinking he'd be a cute horse that I could maybe train up and turn around and sell um and yeah I mean he's just he was he taught me a lot I mean he, he taught me a lot about perseverance because he was hard I mean I fell off him a lot I you know he he you'd think you had him all organized and then he'd have to throw a curveball at you and then do something so then you, you know you felt like oh god I'm never gonna get this right but he had this miraculous ability to know that when it was really, really important, he never did anything wrong. Like, it, he just was really good that way. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, and then since him, I, I have Zeremony, who um, we bought as a five-year-old. I was the first person to counter a fence on her. Um, she was wildly green and, and unbroke. And um, so I've sort of, I, I brought her from her first show, first everything to winning the medal at the WAG last year. Um, and she's, she's an incredible horse, very spicy, uh, in a lot of a different way than Cedric. Cause he was always spooky and afraid. She's not, she's just full of energy and she's a real madam and she thinks she knows everything. And, um, she knows a lot. So I let her roll with that. And, um, she's absolutely an incredible mare. I love her. And, um, I have Kung Fu, who I uh, really, you know, he's just now 12. I've had him for three years. He's won some good things, and he's he sort of had the uh, unfortunate position of following up Cedric, so he had uh, some big boots to fill, but um, he's, he's wonderful, and just uh, hopefully the list will go on. Uh, what qualities do you look for in a show jumper when you're going and, and buying these horses? The qualities that I look for are, it's sort of funny because I, I will have to say that a lot, oftentimes it's an instinct. I just say, I like that one. And I don't, you know, obviously you're looking for a good technique. So, you know, you want them quick in front. You want them to have a good back end. You want them to be athletic. You want them to have a good canter. More and more, I'm finding you really do want horses that are that have a good brain and are rideable because the horse, the sorry, the courses are getting more and more and more technical. You know, so 
20 years ago, you know, you had 15 strides between fences and you had, you could, you had a time allowed of two minutes. You know, now everything is, is so technical, so quick. You have to be able to manage them. So the rideability of a horse is really, really so important now. I mean, I definitely wouldn't have said that 25 years ago when I was riding horses off the racetrack that were rooting and going sideways because you could just get them sort of sorted out and if they jumped, fine. Now it's a little bit trickier than that. So rideability, technique, yeah, obviously bravery. I'm a sucker for a really cute face, so I, you know, that, that helps with uh, when I'm looking. But overall, I just normally have an instinct that says to me, you know, I like this one. And that's what, it, what happens. And obviously, you've had a ton of competitive success. I mean, you mentioned the gold medal at, at um, the Olympics in 2008, and then most recently, the gold medal at WEG. Um, is there any kind of success or win that stands out? to you above the rest? Um, well, uh, apart from those, uh, I feel like there's, I mean, I don't know that there's been any that really stand out that I think about. I think in 2005, we won the Nations Cup in Aachen. Uh, it was myself, BZ, McLean, and Jeffrey Wells. And that was a really monumental day. Um, I think that three of them will, will agree with me. I don't know for what reason on that year, it just, we, to beat the Germans in Aachen um, was really, that was a great, great win. Um, so even though it's not an individual win, I still felt like that was, a, that was fun. Um, we also won the Samsung Nations Cup Finals in Barcelona one year, pretty much the same group of people. My, I can't remember. I know it was myself, Beezy McLean. I can't. I think Aaron Vale might have even been on the team and one other person, which I feel bad about leaving out. But um, that was also fun. And then individual wins, you know, like winning the winning the Grand Prix in um, Madrid is great. I won the Queen Elizabeth in um, uh, Calgary. I also won the Queen Elizabeth in Hickstead. Um, that was fun. You know, that was the, my first time going to Hickstead and good old Anthem, you know, wins that. Um, what else? Uh, I don't know. There, like I said, I think it's just fun to win. Do you get nervous before a competition? And if so, how would you handle that? Um, I used to get more nervous, obviously, than I do now, uh, although on occasion I still find myself thinking, you know, it, it's not, it's, it's nerves over that I worry because I want to do well, not that I'm worried that something's going to go wrong. It's just, uh, so I think some, there's different levels of nervous and fear and what have you, but uh, for me, I deal with it where I'm sort of different in that I don't, I just don't allow it. So I make sure I don't close myself off. I talk to people. I, I focus on what I'm doing, but I don't over-focus because I think that sometimes that makes you a little bit more intense and more nervous. And, and for sure, I found, I mean, and they, and it's proven, I mean, the more relaxed you are around the horse, the more the horse is relaxed. So I think the key is, is if you think, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to settle myself down because I don't want to transfer this to the horse. So, um, and then 
the minute I step in the ring, or even get, even actually in the warm up area, once you're concentrating and doing your job, it goes away anyway. So that's it. <laughs> what do you think makes you a strong competitor? I think I was born competitive, so I don't know. I mean, I, my sister and I used to, like, race up the stairs or race to get in the car first or whatever. So it was – I think competition was always a part of me. I love sports. Um, we grew up loving football, uh, playing sports, everything. So I'm just competitive. So I think, you know, if you're not a competitive person – and there are a lot of people that are not that competitive, so – then it would be difficult. <laughs> but yeah, I'm super competitive. And obviously, in order to make a living, you needed to win um, so that people wanted you to ride their horses. So it sort of went hand in hand that the more you won, the more successful you were, the more opportunity you got. So then that's how it all went. So I think it was just a, it was born in me. And then it was also a matter of survival. What's the hardest part of the sport for you? The hardest part of the sport for me, um, well, the injuries to the horses, keeping the horses healthy, that's become really difficult uh, in the last few years, last 10 years or so. There's a lot of theories out there as to why, whether it's the new, you know, footing, uh, all-weather, non-slip, super-duper, high-tech footing that's causing a lot of the problems. Or is it because the courses are bigger and more technical and, and you know, there's a lot of turning and, and jolting and what have you? Or is it because we're showing 45 weeks of the year um, so the horses aren't getting the, as much downtime as they used to get? You know, there's, there's a whole bunch of different things that play into it. And uh, so it's trying to figure that out and try to figure out the best thing that you can do for your horse to keep it sound without being left behind if you have goals that you want to achieve. So, you know, if you want to uh, be up the computer ranking list, you can't sit at home. So you have to be able to get them out there and jump them. But then how much is too much? How much is too little? Are they going to get injured? If you know, if you recognize the injury often early enough, you can stop it from happening. So it's finding you know good people, a good team of people. You know that for me, it's been a real struggle. I would say for the past five years because you're just constantly thinking about it, particularly when you have one that's very very good that you know you know could possibly do the Olympics or this or that. Um, it's trying to trying to get them to that point without having something catastrophic happen. And do you have any hobbies out of the saddle or other interests besides riding? I do, but not really. I mean, I, I do. Like, I, I like to read. I read a lot. Uh, I love movies. And ironically, my son once is uh, studying. He's majoring in film oh, at Boston cool. College. Oh, cool. So uh, it's good because then whenever I see him, all we do is sit and watch movies, which mm -hmm. is great for me. Um, uh, Nick's sons are two of the best uh, steeplechase. One is a trainer and one's a rider uh, jockey in England. They've got over 200 horses in training. So I go racing and watch it and follow it on the television. Uh, I'm a part of a syndicate called the Rio Gold Racing Group, 
Um, so I really do enjoy that uh, part of it. That's when I'm in England, so it's it's easy to enjoy. Um, but you know, pretty much, I love what I do, so it, it's not a hardship for me. To you know, I don't I don't say, oh God, I need to get away from this and do yeah. something different because I'm not. You know, for me, uh, to really realistically, this day right now, a, de- a vacation for me is to go home to the farm and hang with the horses and ride at leisure and not be on a time schedule. Mm-hmm. That would be a vacation, but it still would involve doing what I do. And um, what advice would you give to your younger self? What I don't know what advice I would give to my younger self because I really. I don't want this to come out as arrogant because it's not arrogant, but I don't really have any regrets. Obviously, I could have won a lot more, you know, or I could have done different things, but I really don't regret a lot of what I've done. So advice, I mean, I guess I could have said to myself, don't worry, because you'll get there eventually, you know, but I think part of that, the worry of getting there is what gets you there. Um, you know, if, if you're laid back, you say, well, that's fine. It's all going to come to me anyways. It, it probably isn't. So, I mean, I don't know that I have any advice to my younger self uh, at all, really. I don't know. And I, that's weird. I haven't really thought of that. I've never been asked that question. So, What advice do you give to students that you have now? You know, I really... I think for a lot of the students that I've had, if if I feel like they're um, very talented and driven and and sort of want to do the sport at a high level, uh, I really try to aim them towards Nations Cups and towards riding for our country because I feel like it's such a gratifying experience and it's it's different from anything it's different from winning in the hunters or winning in the equitation or you know riding in the junior jumpers or whatever it's it's a it's a whole new level of achievement and satisfaction and and so i feel like the students of mine that really are are wanting to do this i really try to push them in that direction so i help them with putting that goal in their head and how to achieve that and, and how to get their horse to that level and, and uh, just which is essentially what Katie did for me. So I, I'm just trying to sort of pass that along to my own students. And then for the others, I mean, again, I, I try, I, I guess, you know, a student is only going to take out what they want of what you give them. Um, so if they're very motivated, I, I can, I'll give them any advice they want. You know, I love to teach them about the horses and, and not just the riding, but actually really focusing on the horse while you're riding it. Um, and a lot of that, the students will really pick up on that and some of them just don't, (laughs) you know? So, I mean, I, I try to, I try to teach them about sort of, learning to read your horse's minds and thoughts and things like that because it is it is very uh helpful when you're riding them and for a lot of us it's instinctual it comes to you without any work at all and for some people they have to really learn it and concentrate um and like i said a lot of the students 
will take it on board and really try and some of them just don't and that's fine you know I think I, the advice I give myself is I've had to learn to let it go a little bit yeah. because sometimes you want more for them than they actually want themselves so I think it's on them really great well thanks so much for chatting with me Laura I really appreciate it you're welcome thank, thank you, you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, and thanks again to the sponsor of this episode, SoftRide. Join us again in two weeks. Upcoming conversations are with World Equestrian Games team gold medalist Adrian Sternlicht and top equitation and hunter trainer Frank Madden. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please rate and review the show. I'm Jocelyn Pierce, and you've been listening to the Practical Horseman Podcast.